Uh, man, we had a great trip to Guatemala. Um, we're planning on taking three more trips next year. Um, well, a student trip and then two other trips. So if you didn't get a chance to go this year, we'd love for you to go with us. Just an amazing time at the Casa Shalom Orphanage. Um, so, man, hopefully you guys can go uh, back with us um, to Guatemala because it was really amazing. Hopefully you got to see those pictures and maybe got to talk to somebody um, who went on the trip. And uh, last week, super proud of our team last week. Um, you guys heard I was sick, and I'm classic guy when I get sick. I mean, I just shut down. I'm immobile. I can't do anything, you know. It causes some marital strife because my wife could, you know, run a triathlon with the flu. Me, I can't move. And so, uh, you know, that's always tough. But uh, texted everybody kind of last minute and said, hey, listen, uh, we, I'm out. I am out. So, Cecil, you got it. And, and, and worship guys, you got it. And I was so bummed because, um, like, you, you teach the book of Esther to teach Esther chapter, like, four. I mean, it's like the, the chapter. It's like, yes, I just cannot wait to teach Esther chapter four, and I can't wait to get there, can't wait to get there. And then I get strep throat. And, uh, but I went back and listened to Cecil's message, and his was better than mine. So I think that worked out well. Um, so I hope it was awesome. So I hope, hope you guys enjoyed that. And we're going to pick back up in Esther chapter 5 today. We're actually going to cover a lot of ground. we got two more weeks in this book, Esther. And uh, we're going to cover all the way Esther uh, chapter 5 through 7 today. And we're mainly going to be looking at a guy named Haman. Um, we looked at Haman back in chapter 3. Uh, Cecil covered that a few weeks ago. We're going to be picking back up, uh, back, back up with a guy named Haman. We're going to be looking at really Haman's demise this week and going to be reading kind of a lot of Scripture. Um, but, but kind of the big takeaway, the big point of Esther 5-7 through 7 that we're going to be looking at today is that success and fame and position come from God. Success and fame and position come from God, and pride sets us up to fall. How many people have ever heard that? Pride comes before the fall. Pride, you heard that? People quoted that to you? Um, that's, that's actually in the Bible. Sometimes what people quote to you is not in the Bible, uh, but this one's actually in there. Um, it's in Proverbs chapter 16, 18 and 19. It said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So Proverbs 16 is where we get that. Pride comes before the fall. God hates pride. He hates it. And it sounds weird to say God hates something, but God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. And I, I mean, if, if, there's, if the Bible says God hates something, it'd be pretty, you know, pretty important for us to go, oh, let's figure out what that is and not do that. It says there's six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him. And number one on the list is haughty eyes or arrogant Eyes, God hates pride. Proverbs 29, pride brings a person low, but but the lowly in spirit gain honor. So we're going to be looking at at how our success and our fame and our position come from God, but more specifically how pride sets us up to fall, and nobody embodies that more than a guy named Haman. If if you've been here with us, or maybe you haven't been here with us, maybe you haven't read the story of Esther, let me just kind of catch you up real quick before before we pick up in five. Uh, there is a, a, a guy and a girl, Mordecai and Esther. It's a, it's a guy and his, um, his niece, uh, Esther, who are living under Babylonian rule, under the Babylonian empire. They're Jewish people, and uh, there's some pretty crazy stuff going on in, in their town, kind of where they're living, kind of what's happening. And one of the things that happens is that they're looking for a new queen, and so they have kind of a beauty contest, and, 
and Esther gets taken into the king's quarters, and God, through some providence and through some pretty crazy stuff, um, uh, has King Xerxes fall in love with Esther, and she becomes the queen, the queen of Babylon, and um, that's kind of a, a tough spot for her to be in because she is a Jew, and all the Jews who are living in Jerusalem think that the Jews who are not living in Jerusalem are evil and sellouts and compromising people, and, and here's Esther. Now, she is the queen uh, of the Babylonian Empire, and Mordecai's kind of hanging around, checking out what's going on, and there's a guy named Haman who hates Mordecai. He hates Mordecai, um, and we're going to figure out maybe why that is here today, and and so Esther's queen, and Haman comes up with this, this plan to destroy all of the Jews under all, uh, under all the, the empire, to destroy all the Jews. And, and so uh, he comes up with this plan, and he goes to the king, and the king's like, great, sure, no problem, let's do it. And so all the Jews are, there's a plan to destroy all of them. They're going to be killed on this certain, um, certain day. And to make it even worse, they kind of plan out the day like six months in advance, kind of like when you were growing up and your dad said, you're going to get a spanking when I get home. And it's, you get a spanking and you got to think about the spanking all day long, right? So that's what's happening is, is the Jews are thinking like six months from now, we're going to be killed. We're going to be killed. And so word gets back to Esther, who's a Jew, but nobody else knows that she's a Jew. And word gets back to Esther um, and, and Mordecai says, you got to do something. And that's what Cecil talked about last week. You got to do something about this. You got to save your people. Don't think you're going to be spared either. And the famous verse says, who knows but that you were put there for such a time as this. And so Esther says, okay, I'm going to go to the king, but, but you know, you can die for going to the king unless he calls you. So go pray, go fast. Let's, let's pray that God would give us some favor um, in this. And that's where we pick up in Esther chapter 5. And we're going to start with verse 1, and we're actually going to read the whole chapter. Esther chapter 5, and we're going to read the whole chapter. You ready? Here we go. Esther 5, on the third day... Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out uh, to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of his scepter. This is great. This is what they were praying for. This is what they were fasting for, that Esther would get an audience with the king. Verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Verse 4, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Queen Esther had prepared and as they were drinking wine, the king asked, again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Verse 7, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So we see Esther kind of being devious here, kind of manipulating, kind of working a plan, not just coming out and trying to fix something, but just kind of working a plan, dare I say manipulating a man a little bit, ladies, you know, kind of working him a little bit. She knows that he's into her pretty good, and she's kind of working him a little bit. And so verse 9, it says, Haman 
This is kind of what we're focusing today. We're focusing on the character of Haman. Haman, in verse 9, went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth and his many sons and all the ways that the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And verse 12 says, and that's not all. That's not all. I mean, yes, I'm wealthy. Yes, I'm good looking. Yes, the king loves me. This sounds like a great dinner that Haman has put together for Haman. But that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet that she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. Now, if you know, if you've read this story and you know what happens here soon, then you know that this is some incredible um, irony, poetic justice, uh, you know, whatever phrase you want to use there, that that what's being set up here is, like, you, if you know what's coming, you're going, oh, gosh, Haman. Like you're, we, but if you've never read this story, it just seems like everything's kind of working for Haman. He's got power. Evidently, he's wealthy. Evidently, he's got a lot going for him. And he's walking in high spirits. He's kind of walking with his head held high. You know, everything is going great in life. I am the only person that gets to be at this fancy dinner with King Xerxes and Queen Esther. Verse 13. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching uh, to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. So in other words, when you wake up in the morning, kill the guy that you hate, and then go to the banquet and enjoy yourself. And this suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole. He had the gallows built. Chapter 5 kind of shows us this picture um, of, of a man who is incredibly prideful, incredibly arrogant, those arrogant eyes that we mentioned in, in Proverbs that God detests. We see Haman walking uh, walking around in life with his head out eye, feeling like that he is better than everyone else around him. He has this pride that, that causes him to look down upon the other people around him, to not respect the other people around him, to just, to just believe that he is better than everyone else, that there is this pride in his heart, and, and if you've ever dealt with someone, because I know it's never you, right, but if you've ever dealt with someone who has this kind of arrogance, who has this kind of pride, it is impossible, it's impossible to convince those people that they have a pride problem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's impossible to convince them. Like, hey, man, I think maybe you're being a little arrogant. I think maybe you're being a little prideful. I think maybe, no, 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 they just don't see it because in their minds, they are great, they deserve everything, and this pride has infiltrated their heart, and God hates pride. God hates pride. You start reading in Genesis and working your way all the way through the Old Testament, 
and you will see God get rid of king after king after king after king after king. And some of the kings that he got rid of didn't do things as bad as some of the kings that he didn't get rid of. But the distinguishing qualifier every time of whether or not God would let someone continue to be king was whether or not they were prideful. And the reason that God hates pride, the reason that God hates that spirit about us that that causes us to walk around feeling as though we are better. The reason that God hates pride is because it takes all of the credit and all of the glory that should be given to God for anything that has happened to us. It takes it away from God and it puts it on us. In other words, Haman believes that Haman has created all of his opportunities. Haman believes that he's successful because he's the most intelligent. Haman believes that he has the seat with the queen and the king because he is the most worthy and he has done all those things. And when you start believing that, God cannot use you and God cannot bless you because pride takes away the credit that God wants to get and, and it puts it on us and God can't stand that. And so Haman is walking around. He's been invited to a special dinner He hates Mordecai, and he just has his nose in the air with this pride and this arrogance, assuming that he is invincible. Let's go on to Esther chapter 6. Because what we're going to see in Esther chapter 6 is we're going to see that the reason that you and I can't be prideful I mean, the reason that we have to run away from pride, the reason that we cannot try and take credit for the good things or the things in our life is because the things that happen in our lives, the platform that we get, the credit that we get, the opportunities that we get, they come from God. They come from and through the providence of God. And so in Esther chapter 6, we're going to see that in one moment, God can change everything And can open doors and close doors, and it really takes away all of the the thought that somehow we are in control of our destiny. Esther chapter 6 verse 1, it says, that night the king could not sleep. That's another one of those little providential, like coincidental, you know, coincidental, uh, you know, just like, hmm, it just so happens that the king can't sleep. So he probably does what you and I do when we can't sleep. He decides to read a Jewish history book. He ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, a Babylonian history book, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana, I'm assuming, who got made fun of his whole life, and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So if you remember this, Cecil talked about this two weeks ago, but Mordecai hears about an assassination attempt that's going to take place on King Xerxes, and he stops it, he reports it. Now, normally, historically, when that happens, great honor, great wealth, um, something amazing is given to in reward Uh, to the person who saved the king's life from the king. And that makes sense to everybody because he just spared his life. But for whatever reason, we don't know, the author doesn't tell us why this happened, but for whatever reason, when Mordecai saved King Xerxes' life, nothing was done for him. No honor was given to him. No reward was given to him. And the way the Bible lists it, Mordecai saves the king's life. And the next sentence that we read is that Haman is elevated to a position of honor, which may be why one reason why Mordecai won't won't bow down to him. And so 
So the, now God, providential God, who is working all things for, for the good of his people, has a king who just so happens to not be able to sleep that night. And it just so happens that that king who can't sleep gets out a book recording the history and the events of his reign. And it just so happens in this enormous book of the reign of King Xerxes that he comes across the page of a story of some guys who wanted to kill him. And it just so happens that he reads this story, and a guy named Mordecai, who he had no idea, was not on his radar at all, saved his life. And so, as this story is being read to King Xerxes in verse 3, he says, What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, Who's in the court right now? Now, Haman, providential statement right here, had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. You see what's happening here? You see God working here? So Mordecai, Haman's going to come into the king the next morning to talk about uh, hanging this guy on the gallows. King Xerxes has no connection to Mordecai. He would say yes, because he doesn't care, because he trusts Haman. And it just so happens that night that King Xerxes can't sleep, and he reads a book, and it just so happened the book is about a story about Mordecai who saved his life, and King Xerxes has decided to honor this guy named Mordecai. And he wants to ask someone what honor should be given to Mordecai. And he says, grab somebody outside. Who's out there? And Haman was just walking in to talk to the king about killing Mordecai. And so the king said, who's in the court? And, and he was coming in to, about hanging Mordecai on the pole set up for him. Verse 5, his attendants entered. Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Because that's what prideful people think. That's what arrogant people think. Arrogant and prideful people always assume that you're thinking about them. That you're thinking about, about them. They're always assuming that. Right? And Haman thought, who, the king wants to honor me. This is great. What do I want to give to myself? So he answered the king in verse 7. For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with royal crest, the royal crest placed on its uh, head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes and let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So Haman is thinking to himself, this is going to be an unbelievable day. The king has asked me how to honor me. And I've come up with this beautiful plan to wear the king's robes and ride around the king's horses and have somebody important, I mean, not as important as me, but somebody as important to walk around with this horse and saying, this is the man the king would like to honor. This is what prideful people believe about themselves. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe. And Haman's thinking, yes. Get the horse. He's thinking, yes. And do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. And verse 11, so Haman got the robe and the horse and he robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. 
Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with, look at this phrase, with his head covered in grief. Now we'll come back to verse 13 in just a second, but this is an interesting phrase with his head covered in grief because in Proverbs chapter 25, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You ever read that verse in Proverbs 25? That and here's what Proverbs 25 is saying, is that if there is somebody in life that hates you, if, there, if you have an enemy, somebody who's after you, and we're not talking about somebody that hates you because you did them dirty. We're talking about this kind of instance where, and if you were here two weeks ago when Cecil preached this, we're talking about when someone is coming against you through no fault of your own. They're just against you. They just hate you. They're just an enemy of you. They want to see you destroyed. The Bible says that Instead of kind of fighting your own battle, that if you will let God fight your battles, and in this sense, it's he's saying if you'll be nice, if you'll love, if you'll, you know, care for that person. But it's really kind of going deeper and saying that if you won't fight your battles, but if you will allow God to fight your battles, God will position it so much so, like somebody who hates the fact that good things happen to you. God will allow good things to happen to you in the vicinity of that person. And Proverbs 25 uses the same phrase, that in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head, that it will make an angry person even anger. It's like when Cecil gets mad and that vein pops up right there in his head. You know what I'm talking about? That head gets red. That's what Proverbs 25 is talking about, right? That it will make a person who is angry about you over-the-top furious about you, heaping burning coals, and that's what's happening to Haman. Verse 12, it said, Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. And I love this. He tells his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Evidently, he just calls people together to tell, you know, what happened in his day. And uh, his advisors and his wife said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. You ever had friends like that? One chapter earlier, they're like, dude, you're the man. You need to build gallows and hang that joker. And then the kid comes on today, and they're like, yeah, you'll never beat him. You can't. It's, it's not going to happen, right? While they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So, I mean, like, yes, it was a bad day, but now Haman gets to go to the banquet that only he is invited to with the king and the queen. Esther chapter 6 shows us that God can open up opportunities in a split second that we could never open in a lifetime. You got to catch that because Mordecai has, is not on the king's radar at all. Now, his niece is married to the king, but there's some secrets going on there. Mordecai is not on King Xerxes' radar at all. King David is not on King Saul's radar at all. And he takes his brother some bread and cheese, and he kills a giant, and God creates an opportunity. Mordecai is not on King Xerxes' radar at all. He, he, he gets no honor for saving his life. And it just so happens that one night he's reading a book, and now here's Mordecai on his radar, and here's him being honored, and here's him being given authority that he could never have gotten on his own. And that's so important for you and I because we need to, and you need to be praying for God's favor on your life. 
You need to be praying that God opens up opportunities in your life and opens up doors in your life that you can't open on your own. Because God's favor on your life, yeah, it can be perverted and manipulated and people can make it stuff that it's not. But here's really much, pretty much what it is. God, take this effort that I'm putting in and supernaturally multiply it. When we pray, you've heard me say this before, when we pray for you guys, when you say, hey, I'm praying for this job, we pray like, God, make that resume stand out. Do what only you can do, God, because, God, you can open up opportunities that we could never open up in a lifetime. You could make somebody open or look at a resume or have a conversation or be in an elevator with someone, and in those moments, God can open up those opportunities, and he has done that for you to get you to where we are, where you are, which is why he hates pride. Because pride says, I did this. Pride says, I did this. And God says, no, 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 you didn't. No, you didn't. I did that for you. I'm the guy who coincidentally, providentially creates opportunities for you to succeed and to climb the ladder and to... And to do what it is that you're doing. So, one more chapter. We're going to go Esther chapter 7 here. Man, you're reading three chapters of the Bible today. Like, you can just be like, don't be prideful about it now. You know what I'm saying. But you can say, hey, you know, I've read three chapters of the Bible today. All right. So, uh, Esther chapter 7. Now, some of you have never read the story of Esther. You have no idea where this is going. But but you could probably kind of feel like if this was a movie, the music would be like, right? It's something's coming. Something's coming. My wife has this gift when the music turns bad to think like, oh, Jason, something bad's about to happen. I'm like, really? You just really, you felt that coming, huh? Right? Well, that's what's happening in this story, right? That's what happens in this. I'll get in trouble for that later. All right, so Esther 7. So now, now Haman has been rushed off to this dinner with King Xerxes and, and Queen Esther. So the king, verse 1, chapter 7, and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered in verse 3, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Now, King Xerxes loves Esther. As much as we know that he can, I mean, with everything we've been given, like he... He is, he is, he is uh, very much passionate about Queen Esther, and so the thought of losing her would probably not be a good one. She says, spare me my life and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king, kind of working his ego a little bit. Verse 5, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to destroy and take the life of my wife and her people. Now, Haman was so excited that he got to go to this dinner because he's sitting at the table now. And it's just him, no one else. It's just him and the king and the queen. And, and now, you know, the king says, who is he? And I can just see Queen Esther be like, that guy right there, right? Esther said, an adversary and enemy, the vile Haman. 
Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage and left his wine, assuming he loves his wines. That's a big deal. And went out into the palace garden. This is bad for Haman, but it's going to get worse. And Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life because Haman had manipulated the king into taking life. So Haman knew that the king could be manipulated into saving life. So he thinks, I'm going to win over the grace of Queen Esther and, and she can spare my life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, hey, there's a pole. There's some gallows reaching the height of 50 cubits out by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hung Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's fury subsided. Isn't that an amazing story? That's an amazing story. And this is always what happens to prideful people. This is always what happens to prideful people. Maybe not in the short term. But you can write it down every single time. At some point, pride goes before the fall, and they never see it. They never see it coming. Haman is hung and killed on the, the gallows that he built for someone else that he hated. And the only reason he hated them was because he believed he was better than him. He just was a prideful man with arrogant eyes who just believed that he was better than Mordecai. And so we've read three chapters of the Bible today, and we've looked at what happens to prideful people and having Haman. And I want to ask you three questions this morning. We've got a few minutes left. And I just want to ask you three questions about pride. Pride is the hardest thing to, to preach on, to identify in people. It's the hardest thing for you to identify in yourself. Because as you're talking about pride, and as I say, that always happens to prideful people, you go, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. You know? Right? And I really wish they could have been here to hear that message. It's never us. I mean, we got our issues, but it's never, I mean, we're never that bad. And so I want to ask you three questions this morning, now that we've read about Haman, to try to identify if there's pride in our heart, arrogant eyes in our, in our heart that God detests. Number one is this, first question. Do I believe that where I am and what I've accomplished up to this point is mostly because of God and a little bit of me? Or do I believe it's mostly because of me and a little bit of God? That's a really important question. Do I believe that where I am right now and what I've accomplished up to this point in my life is mostly because of God and a little bit of me? You worked, you got out of bed, you showed up, so, so, so you're giving God an instrument to use but do I believe that what I've accomplished and where I'm at is because of God? Or do I believe it's mostly because of me and a little bit of God? And I say a little bit of God because, like, you're not dumb enough to say, like, it's all me. And you'll pray to God about your life, but your prayers are even in a sense of, like, 
God, thank you for giving me so much talent or giving me so much ability. Like, yeah, I mean, it's God. I mean, I guess he, you know, gave me these abilities, right? But do you believe? I mean, do you honestly believe? Because if you don't, that's trouble. It's trouble. If you believe that where you are is mostly because of you, it's trouble. Because where you are, especially men, men, listen to me, guys, because we're the worst about this. If you believe that where you are is because of you, you're not giving God the credit and the glory that he deserves and that he wants. The reason that he blesses you and the reason that he uh, allows you to succeed is so that he can get credit and glory. And if you're not going to give it to him, he'll take it from you and move it to somewhere else. And so as we look at our lives and our accomplishments and, you know, possibly, you know, fame, I guess, or whatever it is that we have, it's so easy for us to think, yeah, it's me. I mean, yeah, God's helped, but it's me. And when we begin to think that way, we begin to look at other people and think, well, I'm better than them because I've, I've got more talent, more opportunity, more accomplishments, not realizing or not thinking like, I'm no better than them, but for whatever reason, by God's grace, he has allowed me to accomplish and to do and to be where I'm at right now. See, if you really believe this, then you don't think you're better than the person who hasn't done what you've done because you have no idea why God has been so gracious to you. The only explanation is that God would have done that thing. Do I believe that where I am and what I've accomplished up to this point is mostly because of God and a little bit of me, or do I believe it's mostly because of me and a little bit of God? Second question is this. How concerned am I with how much I impress you? How concerned am I with how much I impress you? And look, there's a little piece of all of us that does care what people think about us, hopefully, or it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. You know what I'm saying? You got to have a little bit of that in there. But if that begins to grow, and I live thinking through the lens of what you think about me, how you view me, how elevated I am in your eyes, I'm, I am destined to fall. I am a ticking bomb. Because I'm living my life trying to get the approval of others because the approval of others puffs me up. I, did, I wrote a, an article a while back called Envying Envy and just talked about that struggle in me, right? That you, that you want other people to look at you and envy you. Like I envy people envying me and, and you probably deal with that too. And it's not just people who are trying to be successful in the business world. I mean, this is probably the most prevalent in parenting and moms. And I mean, we were talking with some friends last night. There may be no more judgmental group of people in the world than moms at other moms. Can I get an amen, moms? A couple of you guys, everybody else doesn't agree with me. All right, that's fine. But just this idea of like, we need... How my kids act reflects on me, and I want people to be impressed by me, so I kind of take it out of my kids, or how they are on the, the field, and you know, or whatever it is. When I start living through the lens of how you view me so that I can kind of get puffed up, I'm, I'm in trouble. And then the last question is this. 
am I okay if God's plan for me doesn't involve public attention? This doesn't matter to some of you guys because you've always been behind-the-scenes people. You've never been a public attention person. But there are those of us in the room that are public attention people. We have positions that put us in front of people or uh, have the type of job where people tell us how good we do or whatever it is. Am I okay if God's plan for me doesn't involve public attention? We live in a culture that is obsessed with fame. It's such a narcissistic culture. That's why social media is so amazing and so, you know, crazy at the same time. We realize one day, oh my gosh, there's like several hundred people or several thousand people who will see what I post and, and see what I do and the pictures that I, you know, you know what I'm saying. And in a recent study uh, Barner Group did of uh, teenagers, 26% of teenagers, so really one in every four teenagers surveyed expect to be famous by the age of 25. One in four teenagers expect to be famous by the age of 25. Can you blame them? It's just, it's just the, so, the society and the culture that we live in that says, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to get attention, and I'm, I got a little Lady Gaga in me. I do it for the applause, right? Come on, y'all dig that song. I'm just saying. I didn't like it at first, but I kind of like it. But anyway, all right. But it's in there. It's like we, there is this part of us that lives for the applause. Never at the beginning. Never at the beginning. But then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And then something weird happens. We don't get it. And we didn't realize we needed it until we didn't get it. And that we need that attention. We need that. Am I okay with God's plan for me if it doesn't involve public attention? I think this is one of the reasons that I love missionaries so much. I just, you know, you've been around here long enough. God has put on my heart. I just love missionaries. I love to get connected to them. I love to bring them in. I love to spend time with them. And I, th- and I think one of the reasons that I love it is because they pack up everything that they have. They go and they do amazing stuff and they never get any credit for it. They never get any attention for it. And they are as content as can be. We just got back from Guatemala, and I was talking to some of the leaders. It's like, they're just eating some nasty corn tortillas and beans every day of their life. And they're just loving Jesus. They're cool. They're fine. Hey, how are you doing raising your money? You got you to raise some more? Well, I mean, I don't have what I need, but you know what? God will provide. It'll be okay. And they're just going along doing their business. Am I okay with God's plan for my life, God's roadmap for my life, if it involves the desert, if it involves no attention, if it involves no fame, if it it involves me doing the right things for 20 and 30 years and no one ever really knowing, just being content? If the answer to these questions, or I mean, they're kind of different, but the way that you answer these questions will give you some kind of clue into your heart and to pride. To, to some kind of clue as to whether or not you have this nasty monster of pride growing in your heart. And if you do, with all of your energy, you got to rip it out, cut it out, and do whatever it takes because God hates pride. And if you do not deal with it, eventually, eventually, you will die or be embarrassed or taken, stuff taken away from you. And everyone will look at you like we look at Haman and go, 
man, how tragic. How tragic. We got to get rid of it. We got to fight it. Let's pray.